Ephesians chapter 5 this evening, Ephesians chapter number 5. Take your Bible, if you would, and join me there. We have been covering the person and work of the Holy Spirit um, on Sunday nights um, for the last several weeks, and tonight we will again visit the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, Julie's grandfather was a, um, was a master gardener. He is now in heaven, but for as long as I knew him, he always had a garden that he just had some wonderful ability to produce um, bountifully from the, the work of his garden. Um, for quite a, quite a while, the last several years of his life, um, we called him Pop. So for the last you know, several years of his life, Pop lived with Julie's dad and mom. And at that point, they had a house that was at the end of a cul-de-sac. And then behind their house, it was just empty property, wooded property. Now that property, I think, um, belonged to the, the regional airport or Pensacola International Airport. And so it belonged to them. Um, it was just part of a long extended flight path, I'm supposing, but, but it belonged to the airport. Well, Pop went back behind the fence in their backyard onto their property. So this was probably illegal, okay? But, but bear with me. Let's get past that for the sake of the illustration, all right? So, so apart from his illegal work, he went back onto someone else's property and um, didn't vandalize. Well, kind of he did, actually. This is getting worse the more I tell the story, okay? So what he did is he just behind their fence, behind their property, he cleared a patch of ground. And he cleared it. I mean, he, he, he left a big tree in there, so there's still a tree, but everything else he just cleared. And then Pop, now he's, when Pop is doing all of this, he's either in his late 80s or early 90s. Pop had this old tiller, and he'd get the tiller out, and he tilled up the ground, and, and then he started to plant his garden. And anytime I would see Pop, I mean, it always went like this. I'd, I'd see him, I'd say, hey, Pop, how's it going? He's going he'd say, oh, it's going good. And I'd say, how's your garden? And he says, oh, it's fair. You know, it'll, and then he'd say this, he'd say, it'll eat out okay. And I'd say, well, come show me what you, what you got growing. So we'd walk back and he'd show me this and show me that. And he'd say, well, this isn't doing so good. But, and actually, it's like profoundly good, you know. And it's just going to produce this wonderful, you know, it's going to produce what gardens were intended to produce. It's going to bear fruit, vegetables, and, and all, everything that he planted, that guy knew how to grow. On many, many, many occasions, we enjoyed meals that were the fruit of his garden. Well, when, when Pop died, that garden in a sense, died with him. Now, Julie's folks, they still are really good at gardening, but they just didn't do that garden because it was quite a lot to take care of. So when Pop died, that garden no longer had anyone's attention and the land returned to what it was before it was a garden. What naturally happens with, with untouched ground is what happened to that. The, the, the forest, all the wooded area, all the, the, the natural growth and mostly weeds overtook the garden. What, what was once beautifully productive 
and bringing forth that which was valuable, when left alone, it produced that which it always produces when it's just left alone. And I suspect that there is something about my life that is reflective of Pop's garden. That there is the potential for it to bear fruit. If we were to do a a study in the book of John, we would say there's even the potential for it to bear more fruit and much fruit, but not just left to itself. The Bible talks about the work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So how is it then that a person like you who knows Jesus Christ has been wonderfully, gloriously, eternally saved, how is it that a person like you or a person like me can can go from just the, the, the work of the flesh, which profits nothing, to the beautiful, enduring fruit of the Spirit that has the potential to to bear fruit and fruit that remains. Well, it is by what we might refer to, which is the title of our sermon tonight, the controlling work of the Holy Spirit. Now, last Sunday night, we talked about the convincing work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit does a work of convincing mankind of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. But he doesn't stop there with just convincing us of something. He also desires to go beyond that convincing work and do what we might refer to as a controlling work. Now, again, we might be more familiar with the expression, the filling of the Spirit. But if we get right down to it, filling always has to do with control. I know this is a a tired illustration, but it does bring to mind the, the controlling factor of filling. So right now I fill this jacket. It is that which I control because it is that which I fill. Now, again, if I share this jacket with another, which it's not intended for, I mean, if I, if I just give this to someone else and I say, okay, hey, you put it on, whoever fills the jacket controls the same. And it's never intended for dual filling. So if Dr. Zach and I, if I say, hey, come on, let's put on my jacket. And I put on an arm and he puts on an arm. Well, not only is it going to be silly, it's going to be, for lack of a better word, somewhat stupid. Okay. It just doesn't find its intended purpose in dual filling. And neither does the life of a believer. Neither is the believer supposed to have this this dual aspect of control. There is this place in the life of any believer when submission to the controlling work of the Holy Spirit becomes wonderfully desirable. Now remember, the submissive work of a believer that finally understands, I want the Holy Spirit to actually control. Think about what is it that that caused the problem in the garden with Adam and Eve. Ultimately, you could say it has to do with the matter of who's in control. 
when Satan himself, Lucifer, finds himself at odds with God over what is the problem? We might know that pride is the basis or the root sin, but when we start to extrapolate, what does that pride produce? An, insubmi- an, unsubmissive- an unsubmissiveness to the work of God, a desire for us to be in control. We like that, don't we? We want to be the person that is in charge, that I get to make the final answer. I'm the one who has the say-so. And when that doesn't happen, we find ourselves at odds personally in our lives with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we start to understand Him and we start to understand that He's good, His ways are higher than mine, His ways are better than mine, then I start to understand he's going to do better with me than I can do with me. But still, it's going to necessitate a work of surrender on my part to him. Now, your Bibles are open to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's let's make some ground through this passage. Ephesians 5, let's start in verse number 17. Ephesians 5, 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, Now think through the beauty of that expression. Be understanding what the will of the Lord is. God does not want us to wonder, like, what is it that he wants for my life in a big picture kind of fashion? This passage isn't going to talk specifically about, I want you to be an accountant, or I want you to be an evangelist, or I want you to be a teacher, or I want you to be a doctor. He's not talking, he's not drilling down, but he does give us this wonderful picture of, here's the will of the Lord. So what's that look like? Verse number 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Now pause again right here. Do you remember this morning how we said that God always gives illustrations throughout his word that are readily accessible? In other words, I don't have to to scratch my head and say, wow, I wonder what he's trying to say to me. God gives us a, a vivid, practical, very present illustration of what is it that is the will of the Lord. He says, let me tell you what the will of the Lord is not. Now, this is not a a message, and I'm not even making a point right now about alcohol, but he's using it illustratively. He's saying, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Okay, don't raise your hand, and I'm not trying to, to mock or belittle or even make it funny, but who here hasn't watched a drunk walking down the street? Okay, or who hasn't had a conversation before with someone who is intoxicated? Again, I'm not trying to be funny or make light of this because Scripture doesn't, and I'm I'm not trying to right now. But when a person's intoxicated, it's pretty obvious. Okay, when a person is drunk, they are being what we would very readily understand controlled by a substance. He's saying, don't be controlled by alcohol that results itself in drunkenness. He says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. So we get the illustration. But instead of being controlled by alcohol, here's what he says. Be filled with, don't be filled with alcohol. Don't be filled and then drunk on wine. He says, don't do that. But instead, be filled with, be controlled by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he starts to tell us, here's what it's going to result in. This is what it's going to look like. Look at verse number 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
Okay, there is no doubting from this passage that the will of the Lord is not to be controlled by some substance, but to be controlled, filled with the Spirit. Lewis Sperry Schaefer one time made this statement. He said, the individual is a Christian when rightly related to Christ. The Christian is spiritual when rightly related to the Spirit. We're not just talking about like, okay, step number one in Christianity is be a Christian. True. But now God takes us beyond that in Ephesians chapter 5. And he's not talking about, okay, hey, be saved. He certainly tells us that throughout Scripture. But now he's saying, take the next step in your Christian walk and be filled with the Spirit. Jesus referenced the futility of trying to produce spiritual fruit while living a life disconnected from the source of power. In John chapter 15, verse number 4, he says it this way, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. Okay, so let's begin by considering the command that's given to us again in Ephesians 5.18. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, this command is given to believers. And the word be filled, it's given to us in such a way, if you break the, 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 the way that the word is used, it carries the idea of be continually filled with the Spirit. Again, let's go back to our illustration. A person who's drunk with wine, wearing his excess, they're not, because they're drunk, that does not mean that they are continually drunk. A person can be a drunk one night and be sober the next day. For him to be continually controlled by wine, he has to be continually consuming the substance. On the other side of that equation, be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't mean that it is a one and done occasion or event that takes place in the life of a believer. A person can be and by necessity need be continually filled with the Spirit. Okay, because of the, of the filling of the Spirit is commanded, we have to conclude that all believers are not automatically filled with the Spirit because this is a command. Okay, be filled with the Spirit. Well, I, I thought when I was saved, I got the Holy Spirit. Yes, you did. But now it has this, this next matter of submissing, sub, submitting yourself to the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the things that Scripture says that you can do with the Holy Spirit. What is it that I can do whenever I think about His work in my life? There are basically, there are certain more, but there are at least five commands that Scripture gives us about us interacting with the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. It is, number one, resist not. Resist not. Acts chapter 7, verse number 51 the Bible says this, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Now let me also acknowledge, I think this passage is speaking primarily to unbelievers, to unbelievers. He says, resist not the Holy Spirit. Now let me also add, and we're not going to take a lot of time on this, but have you ever heard of the expression irresistible grace before? Do you know that expression? 
Okay, this passage of scripture helps us understand that irresistible grace is, is not something that we see laid out in the pages of scripture. Why else would scripture tell us don't resist the Holy Spirit? It, it tells us by its very statement that the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Well, the first thing that we can do with the work of the Holy Spirit is resist it. Let's go a little bit further. And now we're talking to believers. Next, we see grieve not the Spirit of God. Okay, not just resist not. Now we get to grieve not the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30. Here the Bible tells us this. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Okay, the word grieve means to offend. The, the thing that offends or grieves the Holy Spirit is, is our sin. We sang tonight a lot. In fact, the group that sang, we sang tonight, Hide Me, Lord, in Your Holiness. You guys, when you were singing, there was this theme of the holiness of God that's all throughout your song. What is it that grieves the Holy Spirit? That which offends the holiness of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul's writing about things like lying, anger, stealing, corrupt communication, bitterness, and so on. He's writing about the things that the, the weeds, so to speak, that naturally grow in the person who is allowing the work of the flesh to be in control. So he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Some have indicated that, well, you know, if you keep grieving the Holy Spirit, you can grieve him away forever. And I don't believe that's taught in Scripture. In fact, John 14, 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, even the spirit of truth, uh, or that he may abide with you forever. I'm going to pray the Father. I'm your comforter now, but he's going to bring you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. 1 John 2, 27, speaking of the Holy Spirit and his work, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Abideth. The word abideth means remains. So the Holy Spirit's not going to pack up and forever leave the sinning Christian. But the Holy Spirit will be grieved. You won't see him work in power. You won't see him produce the fruit of the Spirit. But he will be grieved in the life of any believer who continually offends the holiness of God. Okay, what else does he say? Well, then quench not the Spirit of God. Quench not the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, it simply says in straightforward language, quench not the Spirit. The word quench means to suppress. It means to stifle, even the idea of to extinguish. It's like, it's like pouring water on the fire. While grieving the Spirit usually has to do with what we'd refer to as a sin of commission. Like I committed something, I did this, and it grieved the Holy Spirit. Many times, quenching the Spirit would be what we call a sin of omission. All right, it's, it's, um, it's just us here tonight. So if you're thinking in your mind, have you ever had a time when you sensed the Holy Spirit of God saying to you, do this, and you said no? Have you ever sensed the Holy Spirit saying, give this, and you said to the Holy Spirit, no. 
Have you ever had the Holy Spirit of God come to you and tell you, say this, and you very simply says, said to the Holy Spirit, no. What are we doing? We are stifling the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to, and we simply resist. We say, no, I'm not going to do that. We are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. Every time we resist or reject his will for our lives, it's as if we are saying no to God. Now, let me ask Campus Church, if, if you're stuck on this point right now, not, we get this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit. My sin grieves him. I, Lord, ah, I, I don't want to continually grieve the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within me. I don't want to be an offense to your holiness. We get that. But you know, another level of our Christian walk is am I saying no to God? Now, don't raise your hand, but I suspect that there are a lot of stories in here of people whose testimony would say, do you know, I was, I was going along with God, and he continually was, was telling me, you're supposed to be doing this, and I kept saying no. I, I mentioned him a while ago, and we, we won't take time to go through his testimony, but if you ever have the opportunity to hear Dr. Zacharias's personal testimony, not necessarily about salvation, but his testimony about surrender. Do you know the place he finally came to? The place he finally came to as a college student um, at Pensacola Christian College was when he finally came to the place where he stopped saying no to God. Where he finally stopped quenching, suppressing, you know, kind of pouring water on the fire of the Holy Spirit of God. Quench not the Spirit. Well, these are commands that we have. Resist not, grieve not, quench not. Now we get into the positive, and let me mention two positives and we'll be done. The next is walk in the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit of God. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. What we're saying now is I am walking in accordance to. You say, well, I've tried that before and I can't. Do you know, oftentimes God brings us to the place of I can't. So we finally come and say, God, I'm going to continue doing the thing that my flesh always does unless you do what I cannot. I want to walk in the power of your Spirit. That happens by our simple submission to God. God, I'm going to submit myself. Okay, I, I, I can't walk in obedience to you. And God says, okay, well, why don't you do this with your phone before you go to bed? Oh, that's an, that's an opportunity for submission. Uh, well, I can't do this. I, I've never been able to come underneath the authority of well, God says, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start coming underneath the structure of authority in your home or at your workplace or at your college or at wherever. And now when I start to submit myself to the structure of authority, I start to find I'm submitting to the Holy Spirit. And now what is he doing? He's saying, okay, now let me do in you what you cannot do yourself. How does this walking in the Spirit work? It walks through Daily, moment-by-moment moment submission to him. Walk in. Do you know, really, it's him that begins to do the walking, and I just do the surrender. 
I, I talk a lot about walking in our neighborhood, but there's a couple that I see walk by our house all the time. I saw them yesterday. And so I'm, I'm um, at the side of our house yesterday. In fact, I had just put the bicycle tire in the back of, of my vehicle. And so I put the bike tire in there and I didn't want to forget it. So I put it in there yesterday and, um, and I'm walking back into the house and I look and a couple, I see them all the time. They're, they're two, um, they're, they're a, a young married couple probably late 20s, early 30s, and they have two dogs, and they literally take their dogs for a walk all the time. And when I say they take their dogs for a walk, that's exactly what I mean. They take their dogs for a walk, okay? They walk their dogs. Now, the dogs are willing participants, okay? They just sit there, you watch them, and they kind of look at you like, I got it good, okay? That's what they're doing. They're walking by, and the people, they, they just carry them. I'm so serious about this. I have seen the dogs walk, but so rarely. I know their legs work. This is not like a sad story, and it's, oh, they're so kind. They help the crippled dog. It's not that, okay? The dogs just, they just carry the dogs. Well, there, there is some beautiful picture there. I mean, the dogs can, but, but why would they? There's another that's doing the walking, and they are literally walking the dogs. And do you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do for us? When we submit ourselves to him, we are walking in a power that is not our own. The very reason that a believer needs the Holy Spirit is because we can't do the Christian life apart from the enabling of the Spirit. If the burden of responsibility were left to me to walk with the Spirit... He would leave me behind every time. However, if I but allow the Holy Spirit to walk for me, then I need only surrender to him and he does the rest. Okay, let's look at the last one. And the last one is be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. These are the commands that we see connecting ourselves with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. In reality, you could begin this point by saying, be empty. This is why the Apostle Paul helps us understand the difference between the old man and his, the old man and his futility and the new person that he is in Christ. One commentator said it this way. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, he is transformed into another kind of person. He exhibits the loveliness of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit. It is evident in his walk and in his talk that something has happened. People take knowledge of him, that he has been with Jesus. This is, this is the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not asking you to do a work of suppression of the flesh. He's asking you to submit yourself to a work of expression of the fruit of the Spirit. Do you know, a lot of times in our Christian life, we never get past that. I have to suppress the flesh. I have to continually work to, to keep it down. And the, the Apostle Paul, he concludes that frustration by saying, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this sin, this flesh? I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Do you know the idea of I've just got to keep working on suppressing my flesh is a really frustrating place to live. You know, we're in the, we're in the, the full bloom right now of springtime. And there, is a, there are a couple really beautiful oak trees in my front yard. One is a, a more traditional, not a live oak, but a more traditional oak tree. The, the, the tree is straight, it's thick, it's very tall, has the large oak leaves that you can probably picture in your mind. And all through the course of a very blustery winter, there were leaves that were just hanging on. They were dried, they were dead, no life whatsoever, but they were, were all over that tree. No amount of wind, and, and we had some big storms. And I would watch those dead, you know, just nothing, dead leaves hold on, and, and they did not let go. They're still there in the springtime, but they're not there now. And I looked specifically. I'm looking at this tree. I'm looking for those dead old branches and all those dead leaves. They're completely gone. And what the, the hollering, blustering, blasting wind could not accomplish, new life could and new life came, and it pushed away quite naturally the old. Do you know, you and I oftentimes through, through you know, yelling at ourselves and sometimes preaching that is just, you know, bless God, this is what you have to do, can never truly produce what the life of the Spirit can. And what does it look like to, to be filled with the Spirit? Well, probably my, my whole body is going to tremble. Well, I don't know that I see that quite honestly in Scripture. Oh, well, maybe I'll be drunk in the Spirit, and I'm not being silly about that. Uh, maybe there will be some expression, and, and I'll do some crazy thing. But when God begins to define what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit, He does it in such beautiful terms. And He helps us understand that the fruit of the Spirit is going to look like love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, which is self-control. And isn't it beautiful that there's no law against these things? What God invites us to do is to actually submit to him so he can accomplish the doing. Do we want our lives to look like him? I know we didn't take a lot of time to accomplish this tonight, but by God's grace, may we submit ourselves to him and be by his grace filled with the Spirit.